my, my wife and I, my wife Lisa is over here on my left and your right. We love this church. We love this church. That's okay, brother. We'll get that next time. It's good to be here, and it's awesome to be in the presence of the Lord. If you saw my newsletter this past week, please read that. Thursdays it comes out, typically around 4 or 5 in the afternoon. And so in it I said, uh, God is going to show up, and we want to tell him that he is awesome in this place. Amen? God is awesome in this place. And the sense of Almighty God is what we're looking for, an understanding of who he is and how good he is and how faithful he is. And we're going to look at something today I think is going to be really important. We're in the middle of a series, and let me ask you some questions as we get moving towards 1 John chapter 3, if you want to take your Bible and turn to 1 John chapter 3. When you think of confidence, what comes to your mind? Is it standing before a a crowd and speaking a speech? Is it stepping up to the plate if you're a baseball fan or if you're a softball fan, and you step up to the plate and you believe that you can hit a home run and then you actually do it? Is that when you think of confidence? What comes to your mind? How many, how many people would think, you know what, there are some people in the scriptures that are super confident. So let me do a little bit of Bible uh, trivia knowledge with you. And so go into your Old Testaments in your mind and think of one or two men that you would say are confident men. Just lift it right out loud. Samson was confident, probably on the over, over, a little overconfident on Samson, huh? What, David, I heard out there. David, yeah, he went up against who? Goliath. And so how about Daniel? Remember Daniel? Would you say that he's a confident man? For sure. How about women in the Old Testament? Any women come to mind? Esther. Yes, I had Esther in my notes. I thought about Esther. How about somebody else? One more woman in the Old Testament? Sure. Yeah. Well, we're getting a lot of them coming at us. Uh, how about Ruth? Remember Ruth? That's confident. But we're not looking at confidence in that. We're looking at confidence from another angle. And so we're going to be in 1 John chapter 3 and continuing our series called Confidence. So take your Bibles and go there. Let me do a quick review with you. You'll see these on the screen. The first message that we had, I titled it Confident in Relationship. Confident that you're in relationship with God. And this is where the apostle starts off his letter. It's a small letter, but it's an important letter. And so he's giving out some information that is massive to assurance to your salvation. If you want to know how to be sure of your salvation, you want to understand the book of 1 John. A lot of Christians aren't real sure of their salvation, or they go through periods of their life where they start to doubt some things. And so this is a great letter for the assurance of your salvation. This is where John's going with all of this. And so we're calling it confidence. And so we looked at the first message, confident in relationship. The first two points were the manifest presence of God. That's how you know that you're going in your confident relationship with God. Is God showing up in your life? How many would say, you know what? God is showing up. He's manifesting his presence in my life in more profound ways than ever. How would you know? Just lay it out out loud. How would you know that God's manifesting his presence to you? Nice and loud so I can hear. Don't don't be shy. We're we're talking about being confident, right? There's fruit. Anybody else? Peace that passes understanding. You're experiencing that. How about joy unspeakable and full of glory? You ever had the happiness of God hit you and you just can't explain it? You're just weeping and the tears are flowing and you're like, wow, God is in this place. That's the manifest presence of the Lord. Point number two in that first message that we looked at in week number one was the, the maintaining of our practice. So you have the presence of God, and then you got the practice of our Christian life. And so God is going to challenge us all throughout this short letter about practicing the Christian life. In fact, we'll look at some of that today. So that was number one message, confident in relationship. And then last Sunday, we looked at confident in resisting. Confident in resisting four different ways. The first one was sinful detours. Remember, the devil wants you to go on a detour. He wants you to go to the left or to the right, but not straight at Christ. 
And so you got to be really careful because he's trying to take us, Jesus is trying to take us to himself, to the person of God. The devil wants us to go down a detour, and so we're going to go to the left or to the right, and the psalmist said, God, help my path to be cleared ahead of me. And that's what I pray often. I hope that you pray that prayer too. God, help my path ahead of me to be clear. I'm not going to the right or the left. I'm going to follow you. That was it. Number one, sinful detours. Number two was spiritual darkness. Remember the intentional illumination. I got the little light switch. You turn the light switch on. This is what we do. You're intentional about it. You come to church, that's intentionality. You stay away from church, it's not going to be intentional, and it's going to affect the illumination, the God, God speaking to you and God coming to you in a very powerful way. And so there's Bible reading that we can do, there's prayer that we can do, there's evangelism that we can do, there's decisions to be holy and humble. Those are all intentional decisions that you and I are making so that we can get more illumination. Spiritual darkness is very real. Number three was secular distractions. We looked at some of those. It's the world. It's not the world with a tattoo or short hair or a King James Version. We're not talking about those things, God. We're we're talking about those things in our life that are like pride and self-indulgence and hedonism and narcissism. And how about consumerism? Do you know that consumerism is in the world? It's, It's huge. So if a Christian struggles with consumerism, if a Christian comes to church only from what they can get out of it, not what glory they can give to the Lord or what honor they can give to the Lord, they're struggling with worldliness. That's worldliness. And so it's not going to certain kinds of movies or staying away from certain kinds of things. That's not the main event. The main event is, are you kind? Are you loving? Are you humble? Are you giving? Are you sacrificial? That's what Jesus is looking for. Secular distractions was number three. Number four was satanic deceptions. And there's a lot of satanic deceptions. The Bible says that uh, we need to be really careful lest we be deceived. So I mentioned last Lord's Day that I'm, I'm really careful about the books that I bring into my library, and I pray over each one. And I've done this for almost 30 years now, building a library. I said, God, I just want truth, truth. I don't want to put air inside of me. I don't want to be deceived. Help me. So there's our two first messages, confident in relationship, confident in resisting, Now chapter 3, we're going to look at this, and I've titled this Confident in Righteousness. Confident in Righteousness. Uh, People have made comments through the years about great preachers. Some of my favorite and greatest preachers were English preachers and Scottish preachers like John Knox. And those guys, they could roll their tongue. Can anybody roll their tongue when they're talking? And when they would say righteousness, it's just wonderful. And I wish that I could say the word righteousness with a rolling of the tongue. If you can roll your tongue pronouncing righteousness, can you give it to us? Just say it. Try it right Oh, wow. I'll give it a try, but I'm going to spit on the first four rows. Are you ready? Right. See, I can't do it. I can't do it. Oh, I forgot that. Scottish people, English people, and Puerto Ricans. Okay. But righteousness, what is righteousness? I don't know if you've seen the movie. Is it called My, what is it called? My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Is that what it's called? Are you familiar with that? All right, I'm going to rename this. Are you ready? I'm going to call it My Big Fat Greek Word Study. Here we go. We're going to go Greek. Okay, here we go. Here's the Greek word for righteousness, and some of you said it really awesome. Sorry for spitting on the first three rows. Dika, dikaiosune, that's how you say it, dikaiosune, D-I-K-A-I-O-S-U-N-E. Dikaiosune. That's the Greek word for righteousness. It means character or the quality of being right. We understand it meaning character. It's the character that we have. But I love this angle that this Greek word mentions, and it's the quality of being right. 
How many people have ever asked you, how are you doing? And you say, I'm in a good place, right? Are you familiar with that? Do you ever say that? Like, I'm in a good place right now. This word is meaning this, I'm in the right place right now. In other words, I'm in the right place before God in relationship to him, and I'm in the right place as far as my lifestyle and living it before the Lord. So if somebody would ask you, how are you doing? Maybe not say it like this, I'm in a good place. You could say it like this, diakaya sune, I'm in the right place right now. Does that make sense? Righteousness, it's talking about the character of God or the attributes of God, but it's also talking about this conforming my will to the will of God. God's will is the one that prevails. Let me give you some verses on this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Notice on the screen. Can we bring that up? 5, 6 says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for, there's the word, righteousness. In other words, I'm wanting to be more right with God in the area of my lifestyle. I'm wanting to walk with God in such a way that he looks at me and he says, Chris, you're living right you're living right. How about another one here? How about verse 10? Look at verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted. And what's the word there? It's the same Greek word. For righteousness sake. Have you ever been persecuted at your workplace because you live right before God and people know it? And you get a little resistance? Here's another one. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. Is it on there? Let's look at that. Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his, what is it? Righteousness. Or if you could sit, roll it with the tongue again. Here we go, here we go. Roll it with the tongue. I just love that sound. And all these things will be added unto you. It's the same word used over in Ephesians chapter 6, which won't be on the screen, about the armor of God. And there's pieces of armor that we need to have on. And one of the pieces, it's vital because it protects our heart. Not literally our heart. That was a Roman soldier had a, bre- a breastplate on. And so that breastplate would protect the vital organs. But in a spiritual dimension, our heart needs to be guarded. Proverbs said that, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are flowing the issues of life. And so that piece of armor is called the breastplate of, does anybody know? Righteousness. Living right. Being right. This is where Paul's going uh, with that in Ephesians chapter 6. Now, in John's letter... He's going to talk about righteousness and how we can be confident in righteousness. And there's really two ways, two requirements, and I want to give those to you if you want to follow along in your outline. Here's number one, righteous living. Righteous living. This is where John wants his readers, who he's writing to, to understand that lifestyle matters. It's huge. Now, the Gnostics were part of this community that John was trying to minister in the city of Ephesus, and so you had all kinds of false teaching going on. And, and the, the false teaching is ramping up in our day. It really is ramping up. And so the false teaching is thick. It's thick in these parts as well and other parts of the world. And so I have a friend in Africa where voodoo is practiced. And so uh, there, it's a very real thing, you know, and, and voodoo dolls and, and curses that are placed. I really believe that there's some of that going on even in, in this part of the country. And so what John is talking about here is Gnosticism. He's dealing with it. The Ephesians or the Christians in the city of Ephesus are battling with assurance, and they're battling with how do you really know the truth? How do you really know if you're a believer? And so many of them were going sideways. We looked at that last Sunday, and so we won't go back to that. But what you have here in the church in, in Ephesus is a powerful and profound church. It's a deep church. If you go to Ephesians chapter 1, you're going to read some heavy theology about election and all of those great truths that are in Scripture. 
So you have this church in Ephesus that really starts off well, but if you'll notice in Revelation, which I'll bring up for you, notice these verses. This is talking about the church in Ephesus. Two, chapter 2, verses 2 to 5. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent, do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. What's happening there? The devotion that they had toward Jesus Christ was all of a sudden not as passionate as it once was. Doctrinally sound, practically struggling in the area of a heart devotion for Jesus. Listen, we could put stuff in our head. Isn't that what Jesus said? I think it's Matthew. He says, these people draw near to me with their lips, but what's, what's heart? What is it? But their heart is far from me. You can be in a Christian church and you can say something with your lips, but your heart, your devotion, the passion, the tears, the love, the affection that you have to Christ might not be there. You ever found that to be true in your life? We go through seasons of that, and so God is calling this church to a place of radical devotion. So here you have the church in Ephesus, which John is writing to, and the people of this great city but they had drifted in their affections for Christ. And so the lifestyle that he was trying to address, the confident lifestyle of living, living righteously. Go to your text, verse 28. I want you to see that he calls the people little children. Now, I, didn't, I, I mentioned that last Lord's Day. I'm not going to build on this, but he's going to talk about the return of Christ. So if you look at the verses, when he appears, we may have confidence, the Apostle John says. Confidence grows the more godly we become. And so John is going to say this. He's going to lay this thing out through this chapter that if you really want to be confident in righteousness, you've got to make some choices to be more godly or you're going to shrink back. Isn't that what it says? Can I go to the text with you in chapter 3? What's it say? What kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God? It's a wonderful designation. I'm in verse 1. So we are... Uh, so And so we are, and the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are children, God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, John is trying to build this theology of the return of Christ, of the second coming of Jesus. And of course, now it's been about 2,000 years, and so Jesus hasn't returned. And, but in their mind, they really believe that Jesus could have come back, and so he's talking about the second coming of Christ but he doesn't want them to shrink back when Jesus comes. Now think about that, because Christ is going to come back, and we're going to see him if we don't die first and then go to heaven, but he's going to come back. And he's saying there's some people that are going to see Christ come back, and they're going to shrink back. Why are they going to shrink back? Well, they're, they're feeling the shame. And John doesn't want them to feel the shame. He, he wants them to be confident in the righteousness that, that they possess and that they practice so that when Jesus comes back, they're not going like, oh, no. Not now, Lord. I wasn't in a right place with you. I'm not living right and righteously. And so this is what he's talking about. He doesn't want them to shrink back. He wants them to be practicing righteousness. Let me give you a theological word. I think I have it up here. It's called imputation. Imputation, not amputation. We're not talking about cutting something or separating something from your body. We're talking about imputation where something is given to you. Here's the definition. To represent as being done caused or possessed by someone. So here's what happened when you got born again. The, the righteousness of Jesus Christ was imputed to you. I'm unrighteous, I'm unsaved, I'm in darkness. So are you if you're not a Christian. 
Jesus Christ and his righteousness is now put inside of you. That's the only way that you can stand before a righteous and holy God. And you know what? You're going to be good to go when you're in heaven. Why? Because of Christ. It's his righteousness imputed into a person so that they can stand before a holy God. It's a very important theological truth. The imputation of the righteousness of Jesus Christ inside of all of us. Think about that. Now listen, here's what he says. If you're born of him, I'm in verse, the end of verse 29, you're the real deal. You're talking about authenticity here because your lifestyle is showing it. In these first 10 verses of this chapter, he's showing reasons why we live righteously, and it's because we're related to God. Remember chapter 1, when we did the first message. We're confident in relationship. We're confident because we have a relationship, and we can live righteous because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Not self-righteousness. I love Paul Tripp. Paul Tripp has written uh, a lot of books, and so I'm a big fan of Paul Tripp. So if you ever see a book written by Paul Tripp, I'm in support of him. I believe in him. I think he's a godly man and he's a wise man. Here's a, here's a quote I want you to look at about righteousness. It might be a little hard to see there. No, it's good. Human self-righteousness does not, denies the need for the saving, enabling grace of Christ. Human righteousness embraces the cruelest of Satan's lies that a person can be righteous by keeping the law. If that were true, there would have been no need for the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Christ, end quote. So Paul Tripp's talking about the imputation of the righteousness of Christ inside of us. It's not about our self-righteousness, but the righteousness of Jesus, amen? And so any kind of self-righteousness, we want to reject that. And so I don't know if you've ever fallen into this trap, but I know that I have. I have fallen into the trap of self-righteousness. So I'm going to make a public confession that I have been self-righteous at one point or two points, maybe three points in my Christian life. Anybody want to go with me on that? Don't leave me hanging here, right? Everybody struggles with that. But we're talking about something super wonderful here. It's the righteousness of God. He calls us the children of God. He's done that in verse 1, verse 2, and verse 10. John loves his people. He loves his congregation, the people that he is writing to. He's making reference to a relationship. And I find this interesting because if you look at dads and sons or moms and daughters, and sometimes there's this crossover thing going on, but if I look at a dad and a son, you could really see some physical resemblance a lot of times. What's fascinating is you could see that the son actually acts like the dad or the mom or the daughter acts like the mom, looks like the mom and maybe acts like the mom. It's fascinating to me to watch that. And so I see this out in public quite a bit because I'm doing a lot of just sitting and waiting in the car because my wife is in the store shopping and and so I'm waiting in the car way to pick her up and so I'm watching a lot of people and I watch this dynamic happening where sons will act like their dads and daughters will act like their their moms and so this is really what he's going with this he wants us to have this understanding that we have been adopted what kind of love the father has do you know that you've been adopted do you know that you are adopted into the family of God this is wonderful This is amazing, the family of God, and it's so different from some of the families in our world, right? You ever had that creepy uncle, the creepy family? Anybody have those guys? Here's a picture of my family here. It's my creepy uncle and aunt. Let me bring that up and show you. There they are, yeah. So I'm I'm a little bit hesitant to mention to you that this is my family, and then there's the other side of the family, my uncle and aunt on the other side. Yeah, they are, yep. So that is not what we're talking about here. And so we have a family that is phenomenal, and it's the Christian family, and I'm related to God. I'm in relationship, and so aren't you through Jesus Christ. And so John is wanting us to understand we're children of God, and we're in this relationship, and the righteousness of Jesus Christ has been imputed to us. 
And we have this ongoing and constant relationship that is working or should be working. But I want you to go back to the text here. Verse 28, when he appears, notice that. When he appears, and then there's this other phrase, his coming. Again, talking about the return of Christ. Verse 2, he has not yet appeared, and he has still not yet appeared, but he's coming. I know that he's coming. Do you know that he's coming? He's coming. And, and when he appears, that's also in the text. And so Jesus is coming back. He, he, he's returning. And I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, if he came back tomorrow, would you be ready? Would you be ready? And so this is, this is important for us to understand here because I really think that a lot of times when we understand that God is coming back for us, we're going to get our life a little bit more in line. Our lifestyle is going to be a little bit more righteous if we knew Jesus was coming back. So you have one more week, maybe. Jesus is coming back seven days from now. Is that going to affect your lifestyle at all? Anybody? Yeah. Are you going to be like in a bar somewhere, getting drunk, getting completely blitzed, and then all of a sudden Jesus shows up, you're going to be like, ah, not now. Are you going to be in, a, in the midst of a pornographic indulgence, and all of a sudden Jesus shows up? If we knew he was coming back, our lifestyle would become more righteous. Jonathan Edwards, one of my heroes, said that he wanted to live his day if it was his last. That's what he was resolved to do. And so I'm thinking, Lord, if you came back tomorrow, would I get my life right right now? I probably would. Because I don't want to shrink back from him. Listen, everybody does this. When you're growing up, when you're a kid, and dad was away at work. Let me illustrate this. I'm going to pick on Adam. Come here, Adam. So I have two brothers and so I'm, I have an older brother, and I'm a middle confused child, and then I have a, a younger brother. And so we would get in fights all the time. And I would get them in headlocks, you know, and I would put the pressure on. Ah, we would just be battling together, right? And then, then dad was coming home. And so we'd be beating each other up, you know, and like, ah, you know. And then all of a sudden dad comes in the house and like, is anybody else like that when they were growing up? So Pat would beat on me, my older brother. He would beat on me, and then I would find somebody to beat on. It would be my younger brother, and I'd pound on him. And then he'd have to find somebody, and he'd kick the cat or the dog, and, you know, it's passing on. And then all of a sudden, Dad comes into the house, and all of a sudden, we're like, how's everybody doing here? And I'm like, yeah, great, Dad, great. Isn't that what happens? This is what John's talking about. Listen, the, the Father is coming back in the person of Jesus Christ. He's coming back, and we're not living righteously, and we're fighting, we're doing all this other kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden, we're going to, at the last minute, go, okay, hey, hey, how's it going? Yeah, fine. John's saying, no, our lifestyle needs to be righteous consistently and ongoingly and sincerely. I love this in, in, in uh, verse 2, we shall be like him. I don't know if you see that with your own eyes. We shall be like him. Verse 4, he uses the word practice, meaning patterns of our life, behaviors of our life. If you look at the text, look at verse 6 down to verse 10. Let's read that together. 6 to 10. 1 John. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Are you with me in this text? In other words, th this is a present imperative again. This is like ongoing. The true Christian isn't habitually sinning without remorse, without repentance. This is going to be a strong word here for, for some of us here, but it's the word of God. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Did you see that? 
John's saying that if you have this lifestyle of unrighteousness, there's no way you could possibly be a true Christian. This is the text. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness, again, it's in the present imperative. It's an ongoing habitual thing. If you're practicing righteousness as he is righteous, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of who? Now, this is, this is going to get to some of us because I've had conversations in 30 years of ministry, and some people would say, you know, I made a decision when I was in vacation Bible school, but I have not lived righteously for all the years since. Then I have other people that say, well, they prayed a prayer way back then, but their lifestyle wasn't righteous all along the way. Their desires weren't for righteousness. Their desires weren't for holiness. John is saying something very, very definitive here. And I really believe he falls into the camp where they would, they would not be a true Christian. They keep on sinning from the beginning. Listen, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. This is a theological term. When, when salvation happened to us, the, the devil's power was broken. No one born of God, verse 9 says, makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. In other words, we can't keep on sinning without remorse, without repentance, without the awareness that I'm disobeying the Lord. You can't do that and call yourself a Christian, John says. Now, wonder our confidence is not strong in the Lord because the life that we're living is not consistently humble and holy and kind and loving. This is how you develop confidence in righteousness. You, you, you get more holy and you get more humble before the Lord and you want godliness to be a part of your life and you want to be a kind person and a loving person. And this is what John is passionately trying to, to say to these recipients of this letter. Try this. Live for God's glory. Follow his word. Submit to him regularly and I promise you, your confidence will rise. It'll rise. And so when you go through the valley of the shadow of death or through the dark night of the soul, you cannot not be living righteously. Trust me on this. If you're going to be living unrighteously through the storm, it's just not going to happen for you. And so God has designed us to live this way so that when that day comes, a difficult season or hardship, then holiness will lead you through that in humility before the Lord. All right, that was heavy duty, right? A little heavy duty. Let's lighten it up a little bit, all right? I'm going to put a, a duel, a, a duet, a, a musical duet. Thank you. We're going to do a little trip. I want to see if you can, you can identify these two. Ready? Go ahead, throw that up there. Who do we have? Anybody got any idea who that might be? Who is it? The Righteous Brothers. Yes, that's the Righteous Brothers. And in 1964, they had a hit single. Does anybody know that 1964 hit? No, you're cool. Not, no, not, no. You've lost that love and feeling. You're saying, what's this have to do with what John the Apostle is saying? Listen, if you're going to be a righteous person, whether it's a brother or sister in the Lord, you got to make sure that you don't lose that love and feeling. Come on, come on, come on. Seriously. It's like we are, we're trying to be righteous, godly, humble 
holy Christians, and you've got to watch that love and affection in your heart. If you've lost it for Jesus and for the glory of the Lord, it's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. I don't know if you knew this or not, statistically, professing Christians are showing no difference in their lifestyle than non-Christians. So if you look at a non-Christian, a professing Christian, they're, they're looking exactly alike at the way they live their lifestyle now. That's not good. We need to be different. We need to be living righteously. Number two, how about righteous loving? Here's how you get confident in righteousness, righteous loving. This is in verse 11 down to verse 24, and what John is going to say is that we need to be loving one another. Verse, where am I? Verse 11, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. What is he saying? End of verse 11, that we should love one another. That's righteous loving. So John's going to illustrate righteous loving in verse 13, and he mentions a person. Who's the person that he's mentioning? Look at there at verse 13. Who is it? Yeah, he says that we should not be like who? Cain. I've never gone to the maternity ward in all 30 years of my pastoral ministry to see the birth of a baby boy that they're all excited about. And I go in, I say, what's the name? And they say, the name we named him is Cain. That's never happened once. Now, why is that? Well, because you know the story. Cain murdered his brother Abel. Now, I'm back in Genesis 4.4. Don't turn there. This is where it happens. And so the question was asked a little bit later, why did you murder him? Well, it's a righteous issue. Because his own deeds were evil, and his brothers, being able, were righteous. And so Cain couldn't handle that, and he murdered his brother. He had hate in his heart. He had hate in his heart. Now watch this, verse 16, back in John, 1 John chapter 3, by this we know. In other words, we have the confidence. There is confidence. By this we shall know that we are in the truth. Verse, was that verse 19? By this we shall know that we are of the truth, and we reassure ourselves in our heart before him. That's talking about assurance. If you want to make sure you're saved, then, then make sure you're loving other people. So Cain is given as the illustration of who not to be. So let me ask you a tough question. Are you loving people? I'm not talking about loving people that are easy to love because that's not going to prove your salvation. What's going to prove your salvation if you have an enemy that's against you, slandering you, lying against you, doing all sorts of evil against you, and you still love them? Then you're going to have the confident righteousness happening in your life. And you're going to pull out of that situation. You're going to go like, oh, I really am a believer. Because there's no way I could love that person because of all that they did to me. My wife and I experienced that about 12 years ago. And we had a person in our world, very close to us, did ministry together for a lot of years and lied and slandered us so that we lost everything. And even our health was diminishing. And so the power and the anointing of the Lord and the Spirit of God that was flowing in and through his word, in and through his church as we were in church worshiping, most of the time with just tears because we didn't even know how to think straight. All of this was happening. And we could honestly say to this 
person that became our enemy, but we loved him. Now, when we came out of that, you could not convince us that we're not Christians. And you can't convince us that we're not. This is how confidence is built. Live righteously and love others, he says. Who is it in your world that's really done something wrong against you? They abused you, they hurt you, they abandoned you. What is it? The Holy Spirit's going to give you the supernatural power to love them. He will. And then you're going to come out the other side of that going like, yes. You're going to be so much stronger, so much more confident. See, it all starts with confident in relationship, right? And then we're confident in resisting those things that we looked at in the introduction, and that leads to confident in righteous living and righteous loving. Let's pray together. Can we all stand to our feet? I know this is a tough word from the Apostle John. Holy Spirit, you're the one that brings the application. You're the one that helps us to really see the areas of our life where we're not maybe living as we should, not as righteous. Can I just ask you, I'm going to do this privately, just between me, you, and God. Just as your shepherd and as your pastor, I just want you to to bow your head, close your eyes, and I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I don't want anybody else looking around. Please respect this. You would say, don't even look at me. Just raise your hand and say, "My, my life really hasn't been being lived on a consistent and regular basis righteously as I want it to. And listen, if you have a desire to live righteous, that's a good sign. But maybe you're struggling in the area of righteousness. Raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. This is not uncommon. How about loving others? You're struggling in the area of loving another person that's really hurt you. Maybe wounded you, dear. Anybody else? Anybody else? Lift up your hand. God, we thank you that you're answering prayer even as hands are going up. We thank you, Lord, that you're the one who loves us perfectly and you're faithful to us and you're so good and kind. And so, God, we pray that you would continue to build this confidence in our relationship with you and build this confidence in resisting the things that we need to resist. And then, God, this righteousness, help us to realize that when we became Christians, the righteousness of Christ was imputed into us. Now we're positionally righteous with you. But, oh, God, we don't always practice righteous righteous living as we should. And so we confess to you, Lord, our pride and our unholiness and our flipping out on somebody and, and just being angry and maybe even having hate in our heart. And so, God, would you just continue to do great works inside of us. Sanctify us, Lord. Do what only you can do. And so, God, we pray that you would just help us to have this confidence that John is speaking about here in chapter 3. Jesus, you're coming back, and we need to be ready. We need to be ready. Every day, Every day, may we live as if it's the day you're coming back. May our lifestyle really resemble Jesus. May we walk even as he walked. If I'm going to resemble my earthly father, and I'm going to look like him in some ways, act like him, how much more should I not look like you and act like you? Holy Spirit, move. I'm going to encourage you during this song, just keep talking to the Lord, keep singing through the song. Keep receiving the healing. Keep receiving the the works that he's doing inside of your life as we worship with this song.